This week's episode sponsored by Academy Games. Their new game, Agents of Mayhem, Pride of Babylon, a new tactical board game for two to four players, is now on Kickstarter. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 155, Top 10 Deck Builders. We'd like to thank all our brand new Patreon backers from the BGA team, Finn, Eric, Barry, and Shubli Lulima, and our BGA new producer, Jim. You guys rock. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, I am stoked, man. This is a great episode, and we have a great sponsor with us this month. We do. We do. Man, you are psyched. I got to work it up a little bit here. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have that kind of energy this late. What are you doing to me? Well, I'm psyched like 878 Vikings rushing down to wipe out the the English. (laughs) Coming down, man. It's coming down strong. It's coming. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, you heard we have a, a new sponsor for the show. As always, we're always trying to do cool new stuff before anything, obviously. Thanks to all the Patreon backers. We had a huge influx in January, which is awesome because it means there's more people in the Slack group. We have more people telling us what they want to hear on the bonus episode. All of these people are eligible to nominate a game for us to review on the podcast. So. Hopefully they don't all cash in that chip at the same time. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we even have people who are going to meet up with us and uh, play games at upcoming conventions. So if you like what you're hearing, if you want to hear more cool stuff, obviously we have a lot of great plans. You know, Academy Games is sponsoring us this week uh, and throughout this month uh, for the new Kickstarter. And all of that is to help us get more cool stuff out to you guys. Make sure we can get to the cons, make sure we can play the new games, make sure we have the equipment and the software needed to sound halfway decent for y'all. That's what this does. And if you're on Patreon, you also get some cool stuff. So the bonus episode last month, we did a kind of a a run through of Eric Lang's games. We don't know what we're doing for February yet because we put a poll up in the Slack group and the Patreon backers tell us what they want us to do. So if you want to be part of that, now's the time. Uh, That poll's going up this week, actually. So (laughs) you could hop in there now. There is so much goodness going on there. So everything going good with you, Anthony? Yeah, it's going awesome. Well, I mean, I haven't done a ton of gaming lately because it's Flumageddon out there. Ah, yes. <laughs> it's, it's working its way through my children. But, you know, some nice solo gaming here. Got a yet another game of Terraforming Mars in last night. I don't know how this continues to hit the table every week at game night, but I'm not complaining. It's one of my okay. faves. And I'm currently working my way through learning how to play Nemo's War, which is a mostly solo game, but the rule book is like 40 pages and it's, it's taking its toll on me. But it's a... It's going. It's going. <laughs> sure. And same thing here for me, too. Got through my fifth game of Charterstone and still being incredibly impressed by this wonderful creation from Stonemeyer Games. Still trying to figure out what's coming next. Won't spoil anything here for you, but hopefully being able to wrap that up pretty soon. And got my second game done of Gloomhaven, and I'm really enjoying that. It's once again, these two games are just phenomenal productions, brilliant people putting these games together, and it's a really great way to have people at the table for exceptionally long periods of time over multiple weeks, if not months and years. <laughs> Is that good or bad? <laughs> it's good. It's okay. just 
it's you know you see like these movies and you want to see the ending of the movie and it's just going to take a while to finally get there so if you're in those games you know exactly what i'm saying if you're not in those games hopefully you have a lot of the time at the table or as anthony knows quite so well a good amount of solo time so you can kind of blow through these games by yourself yeah for sure yeah i have a buddy in my game night who is playing on three separate nights through pandemic legacy season two gloomhaven and charterstone with a combination of different people and i'm like why are you doing all three at the same time and it's just that fomo like you like i have to know what happens before anybody else i can't i can't even i don't know how you do all that they're all great games but it's too much yeah there's a lot of great gaming going on these days it really is the golden days of gaming so anthony let's talk about what everyone's talking about what's going on with our facebook group what's the question of the week Alrighty, so I asked everybody, what gamer designer would you attend a dedicated convention for? There are so many conventions. I was actually just on Twitter the other day, and I saw in four separate tweets people mentioning cons I had never heard of. So there were four cons going on somewhere in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. that I had never heard of all at the same time. There are hundreds of these things all over the place, which is awesome. Tons and tons of cons. But... Part of that is you get like these super niche boutique cons for specific designers, for specific games. And so I was asking everybody, you know, which ones would you go to? Uh, and got some nice, interesting answers here. Uh, a lot of Euros, I should mention, which is pretty cool. So Chris mentioned Scott Alms or Reiner Knizia, both of which have a ton of games. I think that's probably one of the criteria. It has to be somebody with a lot of games. So we'll keep that in mind as well. John mentioned Arkham Knights, but... It's kind of cheating because that already exists. Um, <laughs> Aaron mentioned Feld or Cathala. Steven mentioned Vlada Shavatl. Uh, Jason, Jason was like threw in some video games for us. Mentioned Konami Conference. Uh, is that a thing? It should be. And I'm like, sure. Stuart said Ue, Leacock, or Eklund. Uh, all very good. Talisman or Castle Panic from Timothy. And then Eric, uh, one of our new um, backers on Patreon, mentioned Vital Lacerda, which I would be 100% down for, um, although his, his ludology is not quite as long as some of these other guys. I know there's, I mean, I'm sure there's one for all these guys. I know there was a Feld one in Brooklyn last year. I would love to go to that. Mm -hmm. um, if I was going to pick one game, though, I would probably pick War of the Ring because oh, yeah. I never get to play it, and I would probably have no problem playing it three or four times over a weekend. Uh, considering how rarely I get to play it. So that would probably be the one I would love to, to go to a con for. <laughs> I think if it's possible, you really want to go to a con that's specifically for a certain theme or genre. So maybe going to a Star Trek convention or a Star Wars convention and having cosplay people at the table playing the game with you, it's got to be amazing. So I would really like to see, you know, the full decked out type of situation and, you know, play Star Wars Rebellion versus Darth Vader or something like that. That would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, Anthony, let's get on to the games that we want to play and the games that hopefully everyone will be playing at their table pretty soon. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Alrighty, so I had to write this one out phonetically because I knew I was going to spell it, say it wrong. It's Teotihuacan, City of Gods. This is from Daniel Tashini, and it's going to be published by NSKN Games. And Tashini is one of the two designers of Zulkin, so he's kind of going back... Uh, to that well and this is about one of the pre-columbian civilizations in mesoamerica and it's kind of bringing some of his cool you know uh interesting area movement 
pl variable player power approach to gaming. You see it in a lot of his games. So in this one, you have a force of worker dice. So it's, it's dice driven to some degree, and they're going to grow in strength every time you move. You're going to move them around a modular board, and you get to choose each time you move them whether you want to take an action and a worker upgrade or a powerful bonus separately, but no upgrade. And then as you're managing this, you're going to develop different technologies, move up the steps of the temples, build houses for inhabitants, and then ultimately try to build the pyramid of the sun in the center of the city. So lots of cool stuff. The pictures here don't look too inspiring thematically, but I do like the look of the modular board. Anytime you throw dice into your Euro and it's from somebody who's done it successfully before, I'm all on board on that. And I don't know, I'm really interested to see kind of how this plays out. Uh, usually Tashini works with his design partner. And in this case, that's not the case. But having worked on Marco Polo, which is one of my top 10 games of all time, Zulkin, which is in my top 25, safe to say this is just an instant pickup for me, regardless of what people say. I'm sure I'll like it. So I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, not a lot more information than that right now, but hopefully we see this one before the end of the year. Yeah, I saw this and right away it just caught my attention. It looked like a really interesting take on, I guess, a traditional Euro game. And it seems to have some pretty interesting mechanics that I haven't seen at least recently. Yeah, it's like like most games that come out these days, it's like a mishmash of a whole bunch of mechanics. Yeah. But it's, there's nothing new. It's just how do they mishmash together? Mm -hmm. And it, it seems kind of cool the way he's doing it. All right. So I want to talk about a game that I've seen recently. There's not a lot of information yet about it, but it comes from one of our favorite designers from Lorenzo Amalfico. This is Coimbra. This is about a beautiful little city in Portugal. And typically, I guess in modern Portugal right now, it's pretty much known as having one of the oldest universities. But the game itself is about 15th to 16th century Portugal during the Age of Discovery. And what you're doing is you're one of the oldest houses in Coimbra, and you're seeking to earn prestige by developing relationships with nearby monasteries and working with powerful government people in order to further your expeditions out into the waters to reach new areas and to vie for the most, obviously, gold and riches you possibly can get. So in order to reach this goal, you have to vie for favors in the city. And there's a lot of influential figures here. There's a lot of really interesting cards that come into play, building up a little tiny kind of tableau that's going to offer you some different powers in the game. What's really interesting here is not just the wonderful artwork, which caught my eye right from the start, but it has a new dice mechanic in which you're going to be able to draft dice, not just generally for resources, but you'll be able to use the dice in different ways in order to kind of power up your little section of your tableau, in order to help you explore, in order to kind of gain influence or influence powerful people in the city. It's a really a unique looking game. It has a great pedigree. And at least what they're talking about here is that no two games will be alike because of this kind of different setup each and every time. So I'm really interested in this game. And if you do see this out, let me know. It's coming out from Eckerspiel. And this is kind of like their new kind of Euro expansion out here to the uh, board gaming universe. And that's Coimbra. Definitely check this one out. This looks so pretty. Isn't it it's something? beautiful. Like, it's just so bright and vibrant. Like, for all the ways we make fun of the cover of Euros, this is the sure. opposite of that. Yeah, that's from uh, Chris Quillums. He's done games like Arboretum, Archipelago, Azul, 
And this is obviously Eckerspiel. So this is kind of like the new revised company here and from Plan B Games. And this is really a nice addition here. So I'm really looking forward to this game hitting the table soon. All right, Anthony, that's everything for our acquisition disorders. What about our sponsor for this month? All right. Hey, everybody. Once again, our sponsor this week is Academy Games, and they have a brand new Kickstarter campaign live throughout the month of February. Um, it's based on the video game set in the Saints Row universe, Agents of Mayhem, Pride of Babylon. So in this game, it's pitting the Agents of Mayhem uh, against Legion in a head-to-head -head 3D game. So you'll compete in fast-paced combat. The board is fully destructible, 3D game board. Um, and as you play through, there's procedurally generated campaign of different missions and story arcs. You can either take on the role of Legion and all its henchmen and evil machinery, or the agents of Mayhem who are trying to take down Legion but might destroy the board in the process. We've talked a lot about Academy's games in the past, and they always deliver in both production quality and gameplay. This is another one. It's up on Kickstarter now. It's already funded, currently unlocking stretch goals. Check it out. Agents of Mayhem is on Kickstarter now through Tuesday, February 27th. All right. So now on to our At the Table with BGA. So, Anthony, what's been getting to your table these days? All right. So I got a game to the table, and then we promptly moved to another table because it didn't fit. And that <laughs> is Pulsar 2849. I actually tried to play this last night. I brought it with me to game night, and somebody's like, oh, can we play Pulsar? And I looked around and said, no, we cannot. We do not have the space to do this. So Pulsar is a dice-driven game. It's from CGE, Vladimir Suchi, who you may know as the designer of one of Chris's favorite games, Last Will, and Prodigal's Club. And this one is not like those at all. So <laughs> there you go. You have a big round board. It is maybe two by two feet. It's really big. Um, 18 inches at the light end. And it has all of these different planets, which are face down at the start of the game, and then pulsars, and then different grids that move between them. They're all color coded. Around the board, you're going to have the track where you're drafting dice. You're going to have bonus tiles that tell you what victory point conditions are at the end of the game. You're going to have pulsar tokens that you're going to use to build pulsars, or spin up pulsar something machinery. I don't remember all the exact terminology here, but basically you're building machines around the pulsars to harness that energy. So that's what those are. And then there's different technologies on a tech board that every round the technology available increases by one. So there are eight rows of technology. Each time through a round, you get access to the next row. So that's kind of cool. So on your turn, what you're gonna do is, first thing, Everybody's going to draft these dice. So you roll the dice up, the first player does. You lay them out in this row. You determine where the median is, so basically the middle of all the different dice based on the die rolls. So if you rolled a 1, 2, and a 3, and then two fives and a 6, the median would be 4, because it's in the middle of all that. So then you take these dice in player order. You're going to draft two of them based on the number of players. And then you are going to move one of two tokens depending on what you did. So if you take dice to the left of the median with the lower numbers, you move your little icon um, either for player order or for extra engineering tokens, which are just used for a bunch of stuff. It's a currency uh, to the left. Left is good. If you go to the right and get the better dice, the higher number dice, you move to the right, which is not as good because then you're lower in the turn order. If you move far enough to the right, you get negative points at the end of the game. Don't want to do that. So it's a kind of an interesting, cool, almost bidding mechanism for uh, the draft where you're not really bidding against anybody. You're just kind of making the bid against yourself. But 
the more aggressive you are, the harder things might get later on. So that's kind of cool. There are tokens here you can pick up from various ways that will increase or decrease the die values, like any die-based game. And then on your turn, you're going to take actions. So there's a lot of different actions you can take. You can move your ship. You can get to a pulsar. can land on a planet. You can buy one of these tiles that gives you bonuses and bonus dice. So usually they have an immediate bonus when you get the tile and then you flip it over and then it usually has some kind of income on it as well. There are technologies you can upgrade by spending dice and all these things will have a die on them with a certain face value. And, and that's going to determine what you do. When you're moving around the board, it's just the number on the die tells you how far you can go. And the goal here when you're moving around the board is twofold. One, you want to get to different planets and place your little discs on there because then you get the bonuses that are on those planets. But also you want to put your little round discs on the pulsars so that you can spin up the machines. Those are worth points at the end of the game. They're also worth points every round. So if you spin up a machine and turn it on, which is three actions, so you can't really do it in the first round of the game. But if you get that done, then you're going to get that many points every single round. So it's between one and three. Uh, so the sooner you do that, the sooner you get that little point engine. So all these different things, and there's a lot of different things you can choose from every round, you kind of cobble together whatever, you know, point salady system you want to build, you know, it's not really an engine builder per se, although those technologies you can string together will allow you to kind of chain things off of each other. You know, one of the technologies, for example, is every time you go to a pulsar, you get two points. Every time you activate a certain other technology, you get points, that kind of stuff. So a lot of different things to think through. It's not a particularly complicated game. Like you look at it on the table and all the space it takes up and you think, Ugh, like this looks like insanity. It's really not. It's like on par with Castles of Burgundy or, uh, you know, some of these other dice based games. But it's not as good as like a Castles of Burgundy uh, for a couple of reasons. It's looser. There's a lot going on on the table. It's very sprawling um, and wide open, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but it makes it hard to get to the table. It makes it a little harder to teach. My description might have sounded a little all over the place, but that's honestly the order in which you would learn how to play the game. It's just like, here's all this stuff you do. Now do it. There's, there's no real organization to it. So it's like a heavier... Uh, Roll for the Galaxy, a lighter um, Castles of Burgundy, and it's just fiddly compared to either of those. I like it, but I would rather play either of those games, to be honest. Like, it's a play for me. If it, someone pulled it out and they had it up and they were going to teach people, I would totally sit down and play it and have fun as long as there was room for it. Uh, but if it was up to me or if it was coming out of my collection, I would pull one of those other games out any day of the week. Sure. And I like games with dice that kind of drive actions. It's just... It's not, it's a little too much stuff. It could have been streamlined and barring that, maybe given players a little more direction. Yeah, it's one of those games I was really anticipating, you know, way back when, and I just can't get anyone to bring it to the table, and it's that's really disappointing. All right, so talking about large, complicated games that take up a lot of table space, I want to talk about the recent reprint of Spotter Spielen's game, Antiquity. Now, Antiquity might be a game that you are somewhat familiar with because it's been around for quite some time and this new reprint has kind of brought it to the forefront. It's seen a little hotness as far as that's concerned because it's, once again, one of these types of grail games. It's a very long, intense, deep game. It, it weighs at least 4.25 on, on the, the scale there as far as crunchiness is concerned. 
And it's often thought of as one of Splatter's best games. Now, what you're going to be doing in Antiquity is there is this theme. And when you know Splatter games, you know that the theme is usually the last thing they're really that concerned about. They're definitely concerned more about the mechanics here. And this game kind of follows with this. But basically, you are building up cities in Italy and you are praying toward your patron saint, which surprisingly enough is kind of interesting because your patron saint is going to give you a special ability throughout the game or two if you take Santa Maria as your patron saint. And then you are going to have a specific winning condition based on that particular saint. So once again, if you take Santa Maria, she requires two victory conditions because the bonus that you're going to get for, for her to be your patron saint is you get all the extra abilities of all the other saints. So for example, Santa Barbara, you must build every building at least once, but you get to rearrange your buildings. And that's a really interesting part of this game that I'm going to talk about because there's a polydomino part of this game in which you're going to be placing buildings on your kind of, I guess you could say it's a player board, but it's kind of like a paper charter that's going to open up that you're going to be able to place your buildings into this little grid. Now, uh, St. Niccolo, you have to have 20 men to win the game. And your men in this game are going to be workers and farmers and builders and miners in this game. And you, in order to get the men, you're going to need houses. But he gives you a bonus here by allowing you to build two buildings, but you get the lowest one for free. So you're going to have to pay food resources and special luxury goods. But let me tell you, that was the victory condition I went for. And it's really great not to have to pay for the lower building there. There's also San Giorgio, and his victory condition is having all area of another player in your own zone of control. So you really want to kind of like surround their cities. Now, the benefit there is you gain an extra fish. Now, it doesn't seem like much, but it actually is in this game because you are going to need resources, and resources are very tight. San Cristofori is going to allow you to have three of each food and luxury good in storage. Once again, space in that little polydomino grid very, very tight. So being able to store any goods, which is the bonus here, is excellent as far as getting three of each food and luxury good. You're going to be spending these goods throughout the game, so it's going to be a little tight, but not having to buy a storage is really, really important. Now, the game itself and the setup itself is pretty wonderful, especially for a splatter game, because basically you're going to have this variable table set up. You have these modular boards that are going to kind of push together, and then based upon the number of players, you're going to have a certain number of boards. The more players, the more boards. The boards themselves are going to have symbols for trees. They're going to have symbols for mountains and grasslands and waters, where basically throughout the game, you are going to be farming, you're going to be harvesting, you're going to be mining. But it turns out when you do these things, typically, it's going to cause pollution. So every time you're out there farming, before you put the the resources out there that you're going to be able to claim, you have to put a pollution token below that. So as you pull off all of those different benefits of as far as those resources are concerned, you're going to see the board have more and more pollution surrounding it. So by the end of the game, you're going to have all these little red chits all over the place that are going to kind of suffocate you as far as not being able to build new resources because all of the land's polluted thanks to these gigantic cities. Now, as the cities grow, of course, so does the need for food. So throughout the game, everyone's going to have to deal with a particular famine level. So you're going to have, have to have enough food available 
to feed your people. Now, thankfully in this game, unlike Agricola, the food doesn't get consumed. You just basically have to have the food available. I guess just looking at the food <laughs> kind of satisfies everybody. But nonetheless, food is difficult to come by and you're going to be doing a lot of farming and a lot of resource gathering. Now, how do you do all that resource gathering is actually pretty simple for a very crunchy game. As I said to start, you're going to have this kind of like giant kind of charter paper, this little tableau area where it has going to have a city map where you're going to build your buildings. Now, each of these buildings are going to be a different shape that you're going to have to try to manage the most efficient way to put everything together. So you're going to put houses out. You're going to put your cathedral out that is going to allow you to get your special ability and to tell everybody what your wind condition is going to be. And then another a number of other buildings that are going to let you clean up pollution to be able to build different areas with different farmlands. You're going to be able to build a dump that's going to help you once again with the pollution. You're going to have explorers that are going to be able to pick up special resources, just a whole number of buildings that's going to help you throughout the game. Not to worry, though, even after that little city map in your charter kind of gets filled up, if you put out another city, you'll get another little map that you're going to be able to build again. Now, throughout the game, you're going to be managing these resources basically by having a worker go on a cart. He's going to take the cart out somewhere on the map on the field, drop the worker out there, and if they're planting food, Based upon where the worker is, everything adjacent becomes that food. As long as that, that land is available, it becomes that food. And then each round, you'll be able to collect that little chit to be able to show that you have that food, that you'll be able to trade for a number of different things, basically higher level buildings throughout the game. But you're going to need to feed your people dealing with the famine. And basically, it becomes a farming game throughout much of the game. Antiquity takes several hours to play. I would say at least 90 minutes per player, if not longer. But I got to be honest with you, I never really felt the game time here. And even though I do like a long and heavy, crunchy game, typically I almost get a little intimidated when I see something this big and something this heavy hit the table. But this game really wasn't that difficult to kind of wrap my brain around. At no point was I kind of like melting down trying to figure out what the best move was. I was just basically trying to utilize my lands around my city the best way possible and obviously doing a little Tetris kind of action on my city map. Once the game comes to an end, and as I said, it takes several hours, somebody is going to hit their win condition. So the game is basically a race to hit your win condition. It's a fun, it's a fast game as far as trying to take your turns. You're just basically building out resources and claiming resources. There's not much more to it. And there is a little interaction because, as I said, as the pollution comes out, it's going to choke not just your area, but every area around you. So there is a way to kind of surround and there's a way to kind of utilize the space to best benefit you. Now, this is an expensive game and this has an enormous number of chits. I mean, it's, it's an insane number of chits and they're very tiny and have giant hands and it was like literally... I felt like at some point we needed to pick up tweezers and play a little operation in order to take all these chits away from the table because one strong sneeze, one large bang at the table, and this board was going to be all over the place. Antiquity is a solid play. I really did enjoy this game, and, I, and it really didn't matter as far as the time that it took to play because I enjoyed each and every minute of it. I like farming games. I like the Omni Domino that comes into play. I like the worker placement element. 
and I like the variable win conditions. So if you do see this game at a convention or if you do have a very generous friend like we do in Dave and a great game table, check out Antiquity. I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's probably a little too expensive and a little too long to make it a buy. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely want to play it, though. I don't know when or how or with whom. <laughs> but yeah. We'll yeah. talk to Dave. Like, road trip. <laughs> so that's our At the Table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are going back to one of the most popular board game mechanics out there, deck builders. Deck builders were really the thing for such a long time, and they really had such a solid place in board gaming right now that it's kind of hard to find a board game that doesn't have at least a little deck building element to it. So for this episode, we have the 10 best deck building games. All right, Anthony, why don't you start us off? All right, so we're going to kick things off with a game that uses deck building. Uh, it's not a pure deck builder, but it's pretty strongly built around it, and that's Lewis and Clark. So Lewis and Clark has you racing down the river and through the mountains to try to get to the coast and Fort Clatsop first. There is some resource gathering. There is a little bit of worker placement, but mostly the game revolves around the cards in your hand the tableau of new cards you can purchase, and then the manipulation of those cards and deciding which cards to play for the action, which ones to use for the, the resources that activate that action. Lots of interplay there, and it's very engaging way to kind of tweak that deck building aspect without completely reinventing it. All right, our number nine is Century Spice Road or the Golem Edition. They're both great. Now, basically, the deck building here is all about taking the right cards to build the perfect little machine in your hand. So as the game goes on, you're picking up more and more cards to get you more resources and then to transform those resources into a set collection in order to hit particular goal cards at the top of the board. It's fun, it's fast, and really has become one of the new great gateway games. Alrighty, so number eight is Tyrants of the Underdark. This is another mashup game that has deck building and area control. You're going to have two decks of cards that you smash together to create the game deck, and it's different every time, and there's an expansion that offers even more, so it's kind of a cool way to mash it up and make it different every time. And the cards in your hand are going to have one of two different types of resources. You can either purchase new cards with them from the central pool, like almost any other deck builder, or you can spend those resources to put troops on the board and assassinate enemy troops and manipulate what's going on in different cities. So lots of cool things you can do on the board here, but it's all driven by the deck. It's all driven by the deck building component of the game. And it's a really interesting way to kind of utilize that very familiar mechanism in a new way. Our number seven is Clank. Think deck builder with dungeon delving. You are building up your deck in order to traverse this deep dungeon and yet at the same time, those cards tend to be very dangerous because those cards are going to have clank on them, which basically means that as you're playing cards to move down, you're also making noise, which could and will wake up the dragon and could end your gaming time in that dungeon. So pick the right cards. It's fun. It's fast. It's an enjoyable game experience with a pretty large board. That is clank. Number six is Hardback. This is the refined take on the word building game as a deck builder uh, from Tim Fowers and his design partner on this one, uh, Jeff Beck. So this one has you building a deck of cards with different letters on them and various different 
powers and abilities and things you can um you're matching genres to get different bonuses and in the end you are racing to get to 60 points and win the game uh, very very interesting way to play the game it changes something in from paperback and that any card can be a wild you just flip it over so you don't have to be a word genius either to get the fun of the uh, paperback deck building mechanisms in a much more accessible uh, and expandable game with lots of different variants in hardback all right number five is trains i remember when i first saw trains i'm like oh they took one of the best deck builders and they added a board to it of course they did now trains is all about building trains along this route so everything that you do in the deck building element you're also doing at the same time on the board so there really is a spatial element to this wonderful deck builder that really incorporates thematically the waste that comes along with building all these rails. It's fun, and yet it really offers an engaging experience. It's something that kind of had a blip out there on the radar and disappeared. You should definitely go back and take a look at trains. Number four is Legendary Encounters Alien. So the Legendary system started with Marvel, and it's it's fine, but it's not the best version of deck building out there but the legendary encounters take on the legendary system takes it to a new level it makes the game fully cooperative and against a system that is driven by these different stories so in this case with alien you're going through the different alien movies and you are building up your deck and then fighting the xenomorphs there are hidden creatures in this deck there's kind of a, a flow to them so you know when they're coming but you don't always know what they are the game comes with 600 different cards big long board as a mat and lots and lots of content it is the encounter system is great as is but the alien version in particular is very very good and one of the better cooperative deck builders out there all right our number three is a modern day classic as far as deck building is concerned and i remember this way back when it's ascension now ascension was really a lot of fun because not only was it deck building but you can kind of fight some monsters and get some bonus points from that as well. It had a really simple mechanic, which was, was all about battle or it was all about gaining resources to kind of build your deck up. The artwork was unique and interesting, and this has had a multitude of different expansions and full core boxes that have come out again and again. It's become such a competition game. I have not yet been at a convention where there isn't some massive Ascension competition going on. Number two is the granddaddy of all uh, deck building games, Dominion. This is the game that started it all. And it is as basic as it gets because it's the one that came first. <laughs> it is, you have a tableau of different cards that you're gonna build at the beginning of the game. And there are many, many options, even just out of the base box. But as you expand this game, there are hundreds of different possible cards you could have out there to choose from. Players are gonna take turns. They spend resources in their hands to purchase new cards. Those cards give them new abilities. They cycle through and you keep going through. Um, thematically speaking, I guess you're trying to build a kingdom. So you're usually building buildings, hiring minions, uh, proving your castle, getting money. And eventually you're gonna start buying victory point cards, which will clog up your hand a little bit, but it's kind of the flow of the game. You're trying to balance out when do you get those? When do you stop taking different kinds of actions? And um, that's Dominion. It is the quintessential deck builder and still holds up very well 10 years later. All right, so our number one deck builder is Star Realms and Hero Realms. Now, Star Realms really hit board gaming kind of like a massive meteor. It was nowhere, and then next thing you knew, it was everywhere. There wasn't a person that I knew who didn't have a copy of Star Realms. 
Everyone was playing this game. It was huge. It was everywhere. It had a free app that you could play. Now, what's really great about Star Realms is not only the fact that you were doing what most deck builders were doing, which is basically purchasing cards from a market in order to add to your hand and then play those cards. But depending on what cards you picked up, they would chain off other cards of that same faction. And that became something that really took deck building to the next level because you are now building that particular faction up that was going to get you special abilities throughout the game. You were building bases. You were being able to take out the main player and not just try to get the most gold possible, but you could actually take out life points in that battle. It was thematic as can be. It was fun as can be. And it was beautiful cards at a very, very small table space and price point. So everyone was getting Star Realms or the later Hero Realms out to the table. Obviously, Hero Realms came out with a number of different gameplay options and multiplayer options. But either one is a fantastic game that you should definitely get to the table. And that's why Star Realms and Hero Realms are our number one deck building game. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save all of you a seat at the table.